Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. Uh, this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, I, uh, I'm excited uh, for this morning uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because uh, we have uh, somebody that's special that's going <laughs> to... She is special. <laughs> not, not like in any other... She's a very awesome person, okay? And uh, Shannon is also a part of our, our family of churches and a church planter. And so I've kind of gotten a chance to get to know Shannon over the last little while as she's kind of gone on a pretty awesome journey, both her and Tim, who are both here as well this morning. So we're going to do a little interview. So Shannon, can you come up? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what, uh, what she's been up to. And did that just flash red? Oh, yeah. Ryan. She's flashing red here. No, there's no point. Somebody needs to get her a battery. There you go. Yeah, I'm just going to run over to the Circle K across the street and uh, get one. Oh, look at that. Maybe we are going to do that this morning. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think maybe we'll do that since both sound men just ran out of the room. <laughs> you know, Shannon, here's the thing about church planting. You don't always get to predict how things are going to go, right? And now we're looking for somebody in the back that will turn on that microphone. <laughs> oh, man, this is fun. Yeah, alrighty, awesome. Okie dokie. So we're gonna use that mic for a little while here and we'll see. You know, keep it on because right. one of our youngest sound men is right check, across check. the street here to the go. circle okay. gate right now. So this does not phase me at all. Just so you know. <laughs> no, it shouldn't phase you. It's just, I'm like this is real life this is at least. This is gonna Lake phase Ridge. me a little bit. This is a little tippy here. <laughs> <laughs> if I like jerk myself, uh, there you go. I think I'm falling. I'm kind of loving this. This yeah. is this is the Lake Ridge experience. This is fully. this is our Stonehouse experience too. So, <laughs> yeah, we're we're right here with you. All right, yeah. Shannon Friesen, mm -hmm. Steinbach, Manitoba, That's church right. planter. Yeah. So we want we don't we want to talk a few questions and we'll just get at this and hopefully by the time it's time for you to speak we'll we'll have a battery Great. for you and everything will be <laughs> running. Like, I'm easy. Like well. a clock, things will be running. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? And then we're going to talk church planting. So what are the facts sure. about Shannon? Okay, so I'm 41. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of that. I like getting older. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of it's kind of a cool experience. Um, Tim and I have been married for 20 years. We have three kids. Our oldest is 16, working her first job at Shell and loving it. 
like on the cusp of her first boyfriend. We're do, kind of freaking out about that. Do they sell batteries there? They do okay, sell cool. batteries at Shell, but not this kind. So. Okay, not this kind. Okay. Um, and then we have a son who is, uh, he'll be 15 this summer, and then another son who just turned 12. So that's us in a nutshell. Our boys play hockey um, and have for years. Uh, that actually was kind of a birthplace of like a call to stay in the community and to plant a church. Um, mm -hmm. We have great relationships in the hockey community. Uh, we love them. They're like our family. And um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Height? How tall are you? Oh, uh, yeah, well, actually, I'm shrinking. <laughs> we just, my daughter, Tim is very I tall. I'm not you. sure if you noticed, but um, my daughter has surpassed me in height this year. Oh, and yeah. now she, I think, is like 5'8". Um, and I am apparently 5'4". Four and a half there you now go. Cool. Of five, five and a half. Like, facts. what's going on? So, anyway. All right. So you plant a church. Yeah, we did. Feel called to plant a church. So before yeah. we start talking about Stonehouse. Yeah. Why church planting? You know, for me, um, I walked into like my call to be a pastor. I would say kind of late. I grew up not even recognizing that that could be a vocation that I could walk in in this body. Um, so. Around age 30, I was like, I think I think I should go to seminary. Um, just coming out of a love for scripture and for people and for um, the church. I, it was like, I'm starting to put two and two together here. And so I started into seminary, not even really recognizing that there was a call to ministry at that point. Or maybe it was there, but I was a little bit like, huh, what does this look like for me? Um, and it took me about six years to do seminary just because I was also parenting young children at the time. And in that process, um, recognized that there was a call to be a pastor um, on my life. And uh, through various ways, God kept like reinforcing that. And um, at the same time, Tim and I both like really felt a call to be in our community, uh, a deep love for this community that we're part of. Uh, Steinbeck is like church saturated. We are in this like Manitoba Bible Belt, I would say. Um, but there, there was just this sense of like, yeah, God's call to like be in the community and to also pastor in the community. And uh, so those, it was sort of like these paths converging, and then, and then it was like um, also my path to the covenant. Like I interned at a covenant church in Winnipeg, and it was like this is a really good fit for us because that's what church often is, right? Like our our, our community having as many churches as it has, obviously, different churches fit different people, and it's like when you walk into a community. It might not be the right fit. Um, we're recognizing that even as um, a young church plant, that sometimes we're a good fit for a family that walks in, and sometimes we're not. Um, and, and that's okay. And so it was sort of like this, we, we are called here, and we are becoming a fit uh, for certain people in our community. So... Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so Stonehouse mm -hmm. is the name of the church? Stonehouse Covenant Church, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're a part of your journey a little bit. 
yeah. in that uh, over the last couple of years, Lake Ridge has given uh, mm. out of our out of our donations and our budget, one percent of what everybody mm. tithes here goes to the Canada Conference and then directly to Stonehouse. Yeah. So we are a part of, of your journey, so we're going to hear a little mm. bit more about that. So yeah. one of the things... This is oh, Sunday school, by the way. Oh, Sunday school. That's our Sunday school. Look how well-behaved those yeah, children they're, look. they're being very good at that moment. Yeah. Yeah, you might need to talk to our people about, about this because <laughs> our children aren't near as well-behaved <laughs> like <laughs> that. This is just a small snapshot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can you um, can you tell us one of the things that Lake Ridge cares a lot about, and I know that you care a lot about this, is, some, is the community. Mm -hmm. And it's a, big, it's a big part of how we planted Lake Ridge, and I know that it's a big part of how you're working with, at Stonehouse. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what are some of the needs of, of your community in Steinbach, and how have you found yourself like leaning into caring for those needs out in the community? Sure. Um, so I think like being part of a community means like being part of different circles, like where where you work, what your extracurriculars are, um, being in those spaces. Like we are intentionally in so many spaces, um, but it's coming out of who we are. So for us to like, like I'm just thinking like we have uh, people that are part of a running group in our community. We have people who are part of different kinds of music groups in our community. We have people who are part of the sports community. Um, there are just so many facets, and it's like, if we can all kind of be in our circles, you know, being um, God's people, disciples of Jesus in, in our circles, well, we're already, you know, doing what God has called us to do. Um, so there's that. We have a very, like, a growing immigrant community in Steinbeck. Like, um, it's, it's quite unbelievable. I've been there for, since I was 10, so 30 years. Um, the, the town looks completely different, and it's so cool to see the diversity in our community compared to when I was growing up. Um, and more, more and more people are coming. So, so there's, like, these, these opportunities, I think, um, that are kind of like at our doorstep in terms of like stepping into what it looks like to be a diverse community and building relationships within the community that way. Um, yeah, and then I would say like opportunity-wise, like something that we kind of have a vision for down the road. Um, we still are not self-sustaining, so yeah. we're, we're working on that, but is to, be, uh, to, to provide a space for the community to use. Um, so we kind of envision eventually having maybe our own space, we'll see um, how the Lord leads, but that we can actually host the community. So like pickleball, for example, is huge in our, I think across the world, I don't know if that's true, but like being able to, to create spaces that we can actually host the community and build relationships that way, that would be part of our vision yeah. uh, down the road. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I got a question for you. Let's get personal. Sure. All right. I remember um, when I was just starting Lake Ridge, mm. how terrifying that was. And it, that people were giving, and there was a sense of like, I have to, this has to work mm -hmm. because people have given. And um, I actually told a story last night at the, mm -hmm. at the conference 
that there was a moment I went to a church planters conference, and uh, while I was there, uh, I went to uh, uh, like a luncheon, and it was all these first. It was the first year's luncheon, okay. And uh, we're sitting at this table, and they asked from the front, okay, go around the circle and tell everybody, you know, about your church, your, your church that you're planting, and how it's going and how you're doing. And I was not doing well at the time. And uh, the person right next to me started. And so he's sharing. He begins to share. It's awesome. And he gives this really awesome, like, elevator statement of how awesome his church is and how great it is and that they went from 70 people that they started with. And we, we like started with seven and, and that they had grown already in the first eight months to 150 and it was a very rah-rah thing. And then I was so grateful that as it turned out, the, the, the rotation was going counterclockwise, which meant I didn't have to go next. And, uh, and so then they went around the circle and it was it was really challenging as I listened to everybody talk about how great everything was going and how well they were doing. And I wasn't doing well. I, in fact, felt like I didn't know how to lead and I didn't know how to do a church plant. And I didn't know how, so many things I didn't know how. And I had realized that I was all alone. I felt lonely. And as I was going around, I was going, my turn? I didn't know what to say. As I felt like, well, I could... I could paint a beautiful picture of what this is, what's happening at Lake Ridge, or I could tell the truth. And uh, it came to my turn, and I decided to tell the truth. And I said, all right, so it's my turn. I'm the last person to go. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not even sure if this is going to work. I feel like the things we try, they work marginally, but not to the extent to which any of you have described the success of your ministry. And I think over the last month and a half, I've started to realize just how lonely I am. And then I ended. And I, it was awkward. It was really weird. It was, you know, you know the moment when you kind of like, you know, you drop the like, yeah, I'm insecure and I don't know what I'm doing into the room. And I've shared this here, so it's not a surprise. And these people have been here a long time. They know I don't know what I'm doing still. <laughs> love Jesus, love people I do know that anyway the person across the table from me who had given quite a chest pounding speech about his church plan said can I go again and then, and then he shared actually just how difficult it had been and actually did say I inflated the success of what's happening here and I'm struggling to figure out these things. And it, and, it, and it changed the context of the room. I tell that story because I have been a church planter and probably still put myself in that class. And I know you. <laughs> and we've talked about these things. How do you manage the insecurity that every pastor feels knowing that we've confidently, we, are, we are confident in God who has called us to do this work but we aren't necessarily so confident in ourselves to do it. That's real. How do you care for yourself in that? 
I want to ask you if it's happening. I know it's happening. Yeah, oh yeah, you're, it's you're happening. You're three years in, three and a half years? <laughs> three and a half, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. two of those years were, you know, really COVID, awesome. Yeah. We definitely felt yeah. a lot of good things here during COVID. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been good. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a challenge. Um, yeah, I think, like, I wrestle with insecurity constantly. Like, this, I describe this process of church planting um, as, and I think pastoring too, but church planting in particular, like it's it's super vulnerable, um, and and the church plant itself, like it feels fragile. Um, we're in a pivotal year this year. Um, we have to grow. Um, our giving has to grow in order for us to even just be able to keep going. And it's a deep desire of mine that that we get to keep going, <laughs> but um, but I have no control over over that um and so how do i manage that um i don't always do a good job managing um my insecurity and my fear um it is um always knocking on the door these days it feels like um i have a really hard time sometimes tuning out those voices of inadequacy and um and fear um because I don't feel like I'm enough. And I, I don't, like, I, I'm not always good at trusting God um, to provide and to, um, to kind of, like, like, help us keep moving forward. Um, I, I tend to sometimes listen to those voices. Um, but, you know, like, if I can look back and and see like the faithfulness of God over the last three and a half years. Um, that actually helps me, uh, and I can I can look at moments of like call and moments of um, affirmation. I would say in terms of like you know somebody coming and then reflecting back on their first experience and being like this is what I experienced today. And for me to look back and be like, that is exactly the kind of experience that I want someone to have, that they feel welcomed, that they um, feel fed by the word. Like, that is exactly what I want um, when people come in the door. And it's, you know, in those moments, just choosing to say, okay, God, I'm just, I'm going to take the next step forward um, and I'm going to keep at this. Um, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy. <laughs> no. Nope. It's not easy. No. Um, two more questions. Mm -hmm. the, the first one, and I think you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but if you could wave your magic wand, what does Stonehouse look like in 10 years? So you're, well, actually, let's just do seven. You're seven. Three and a half years in. Yeah, so at year 10. We're, we, are, we are 11 and a half yeah. here. What do you dream and hope? Stonehouse will be in your community and be about? You know, I think for people to be able to come, like I said, and be fed by the word and, and by the community, like that they have a sense of this is who we are um, and we are part of this and this body. Um, and that, that we are known for being involved in the community, not necessarily always as the whole church, although it'd be cool to be able to, you know, give gifts to the community like a space or like uh, an event every once in a while, like a yearly event. Like, I think those types of things would be amazing uh, to be able to, to 
Um, I think I'm getting a battery here. Yeah, we figured it Great. out. Great. Problem um, solving. To be able to, um, yeah, be known for, for our generosity in the community, that, oh my goodness, I would love to be in that space of being known, um, but also being known as a place where people can come with their questions, with their doubts, and, and not have to fit into a certain box in order to belong. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that's my deep hope for us as a community. Awesome. Yeah. So how can we pray? Uh, you know, just being in the midst of this pivotal year, um, that we would be able to kind of like keep stepping forward, keep keep um, keep our doors open. That sounds really like foreboding, well, it's but it's like it's real. it is totally real. Um, and and also for me myself, like it's been a hard season, and I'm feeling weary. So it's uh, like just yeah. For I think. The prayer that I keep asking, the thing that I keep asking God for is fortitude. And I like looked it up on my on my dictionary app, and I was like, yeah, this is exactly it. It's like a, a mental and emotional strength to be able to like keep walking this out um, in the midst of of difficulty and challenge. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Can I pray for you? Yeah. And then we'll turn. We're going to give you a chance to share with us a little bit from what God's put on your heart. You know what, I'm going to, let's do something weird. We like weird things. Uh, um, if I could get you to stand. And, and sometimes in the tradition of the church, the laying on of hands is something that, that God is, has always um, called on us to do as Jesus laid hands on many people. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to ask a couple of people from Lakeridge if you could come up and physically lay hands on Shannon. So come on up and join me. And as for the rest of you, if you could just extend your arm as a practice of, of, of reaching out and, and laying uh, God's hand on Shannon and Tim and the work at Stonehouse. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, you are a good God. You are a God who is, is profoundly in love with this world that you have created. And God, you have called upon some in your family to give specific care to certain places and certain communities. God, we believe that you have placed a call on Shannon's life to love the city or town of Steinbach. God, may you continue to demonstrate to her that you are already at work in that place and she simply needs to go out and join you there. Would you give her wisdom? Would you give her strength? Would you give her fortitude that she might be able to listen for your voice and be tended to you by your spirit so that she may do the good work of tending to others in your name? God, we pray for all the, the actual needs, the, the, the direct physical needs that Stonehouse needs from finances to places to meet, to, to other people to join in the journey and be a part of loving that city in this unique way. God, we're grateful that Shannon has joined us here today and shared part of her story, and we'll share a little bit more from your word. We are grateful for that. So by your loving hand, God, we ask, would you bless her and be with her as she shares and blesses us in your name. Amen.
Are Vic we on? Yes, we are. Okay. Yeah, you get it? Yep. Victory. Great. Problem solved. Here, I'll take yeah. this out of your way. If you have Bibles here, um, most of the people in our church don't bring their Bibles. Some, some have their phones. Um, but I invite you to follow along with me. I'm just going to be reading from the beginning of Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, uh, starting in verse 3. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but for the moment, I invite you to picture yourself walking downtown in a big city like Toronto or Manhattan or something, block after block of tall buildings, all sorts of stores and businesses and restaurants and banks, um, billboards and lights and traffic. It's just like Chestermere and Steinbach, right? Yeah, that's exactly what you're picturing. Okay, lots of people. It's dark outside, and you're walking along, and you're making your way to a pizza place that your friends recommended, and you come upon a swanky restaurant with high ceilings and large windows facing the street. Their chandeliers are amazing, and the entrance boasts these massive wooden doors along with two doormen in tuxedos. You notice a crowd of people standing outside, looking in the windows and talking in low voices. They look indignant and hungry and very well-dressed. Like we're talking suits and ties and, and designer handbags and shoes. And um, they're obviously some of the elite in the city. And some of them are probably even celebrities. And they want in. You hear them muttering, they wouldn't let me in. They literally went out in the street and asked who hadn't eaten yet today. You peer through the crowd to see what they're looking at and what you see surprises you. The people eating at the tables are not clean or well-dressed. In fact, their clothes are pretty ragged and some of them aren't even wearing shoes. On the floor next to many of their chairs are dirty backpacks, and you notice a few shopping carts along the back wall, and they're probably full of um, belongings. They're eating decadent, beautifully plated food and drinking wine, and carrying on quiet conversations at their tables. Waiters and waitresses go from table to table with wine and bread, asking what more they can offer their guests. Suddenly, you see someone walk in from the back and extend his hands and address the whole room. He's well-dressed, but not in a pretentious sort of way. Everyone looks up when he speaks, and they smile and chuckle in unison. 
Some nod their heads and a few others wipe their eyes. They look grateful. And then they go back to eating while the man walks from table to table with a pitcher of water, making conversation with whoever welcomes it. What is this place, you wonder? Obviously, these people can't pay for this meal. And by the looks of the um, faces of those standing outside, they were expecting to eat here tonight. Something's going on. Your curiosity gets the best of you. So you make your way around the building to the back of the restaurant, hoping to encounter one of the serving staff, cooks. And what do you know? It's the man himself, the owner, perhaps, swinging a garbage bag into the bin. Sir, you say, I noticed the crowd outside first, and then I looked in at your guests, and I'd like to know what it takes to get a seat at one of your tables tonight. And he looks at you, and with a smile and a, and a shrug, he simply says, you have to need it. In Matthew 4, we get a glimpse of Jesus' ministry during the three years before he was crucified sort of tells the same story. The author says, he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God, and healing every disease and affliction. We're told his fame spreads throughout all Syria, and people bring to him all the sick and the afflicted and the oppressed, and he heals them. Then we're told great crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan follow him. And no wonder, after what they are witnessing him doing, after what they are experiencing him doing, no wonder they follow him. And this sets the scene for what we read next, which is exactly what I read to you um, at the beginning here. I'm starting in verse 1 this time. I'm just going to quickly run through it again. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the very beginning of what's known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it sort of paints three pictures for us all at the same time. One is describing God's kingdom. One is describing the people who experience it, who experience God's kingdom. And one is describing basically the people who don't, um, the ones who don't experience God's kingdom. And our restaurant scene depicts all three. Um, the story is meant, this restaurant story is meant to help us visualize what Jesus is saying as he's naming these blessings. So let me start with what's not said. 
Sometimes when we are reading scripture, it's important to actually look at what's not being said, but maybe implied. So the people standing outside the restaurant, the ones looking in who aren't experiencing the blessing of that meal, are kind of like the people who Jesus is not naming, but are implied. And what's interesting is that these people are the ones that the world says are blessed, right? The rich, the powerful, the comfortable, um, the ones who want and, and maybe take the best for themselves and who hunger and thirst for the pleasures the world has to offer. Jesus doesn't name these people in the Beatitudes, but they are implied, and they're the self-sufficient they're living within the illusion that they're in control and they're proud and, and they're the privileged. And maybe they're the ones who are dismissing the suffering of others or maybe even contributing to it. Instead of telling the truth, maybe they're dishonest and hypocritical. Instead of being peacemakers, they label and judge and vilify, causing division and contributing to violence. Instead of working toward justice, they're passive and disengaged, and self-focused. So that's not named, right? Jesus in the Beatitudes is naming who is the blessed. And so this is the picture that we get with the people in the restaurant, let's say. They're the ones who humbly admit their need, their dependence, their limitedness, and their vulnerability. They're the ones coming to God with open and empty hands. Maybe they're taking time to lament and grieve. Maybe they're longing for what is good and right for all people, not just themselves. They're the ones extending forgiveness and compassion and grace and telling the truth and living with integrity and actively seeking peace and reconciliation in the place that they live. And maybe they're being targeted for doing so. The blessed, the blessed, according to Jesus, are the ones who admit their poverty, their need, and are gifted an incredible meal in exchange. The restaurant itself represents God's kingdom, what God is bringing into the world through Jesus, and what Jesus himself, I think, is describing in the Beatitudes. Matthew has Jesus announcing that God's kingdom is on its way, and he's pointing out that Jesus is the one who will initiate it by what he says and what he does. And what is this kingdom defined by? Wholeness and peace, justice and equity and generosity and abundance and love. Everyone has enough in God's kingdom. There's no hierarchy or domination, and each person is given dignity and respect, and the most vulnerable are cared for. This kingdom is defined by humility, and diversity is celebrated, and every single person flourishes along with all of creation. Jesus says those in God's kingdom will be blessed with comfort and satisfaction and mercy, and they will see God and be called God's children. Can I have that slide? Um, see here. 
All right, so I kind of like put them on both sides. So like the people, and then on the right, the blessings. There we go. So just as a visual for you to look at. That sounds like exactly where we want to be, right? Like that, that list on the right, it's like, um, yes, please, where can I sign up? Like, um, what's cool is that in scripture, like we're told, this is where we're heading, where God is taking us and the world. It points to the fact that someday God's kingdom will come in its fullness and someday we will live in a whole and healed world in imperishable bodies. Like, um, that means no sin and no evil and no death, right? Um, but we're not there yet. <laughs> and, and right now, it's kind of like we're on a path to it, um, like we're practicing for it already, but we haven't arrived. And what Jesus kind of goes on to say in uh, the Sermon on the Mount is that in this world, that path is a narrow one. Um, and you know who's on it? Well, Jesus is on it. Um, and, then, and then you think about his life for a while, and, and you think about his character, what we're told in Scripture, and, and there we are. Um, on the left there. And so, as readers, as, as disciples, we're starting to put two and two together here. And we're recognizing in Jesus' uh, Beatitudes, and then in, in the rest, if you keep reading in the Sermon on the Mount, um, that we actually are being invited to walk on this narrow road with Jesus. Uh, but we get to choose whether we're walking on it or not, whether we're eating in that restaurant or not, standing outside. Jesus even goes on after his first eight blessings to say this, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, you're blessed when you align with me, when you're rejected or persecuted or reviled because you're following me. This is where I am. And yeah, it, it's going to cost you something because it confronts the values and the priorities of the world. But look ahead. Your reward is great in heaven. It's like Jesus is saying, this is you as much as it is me. This is what it means to be my followers. You'll look and act completely differently from the, the people that the world says is, are blessed. We're on the weak side standing here among the poor and the grieving, among those longing for justice and equity, what is good and right for all people. We're the ones working toward peace. We're standing with the meek. We're admitting we need help. We're extending forgiveness and compassion, and, and yes, we're going to be labeled and judged and even persecuted for these things. But this is where the real blessings are. Jesus is saying. And this is both now and when God's kingdom arrives in its fullness. Friends, I think if we're honest, like we deeply want um, these things on the right. Deep comfort, um, satisfaction, that sounds pretty good to me. 
And, and maybe we're a little uncomfortable actually with the list on the, le on the left, if we're being honest, um, because either it doesn't describe us very well or because it looks hard or because it might mean giving something up. Um, but I have good news for us uh, in that list uh, because the theme running through most of it is getting honest and admitting our neediness and our weakness and our sin and our dependence on God. That we can't actually do this on our own. It's like Jesus is saying, we are blessed when we come to God with empty and open hands and when we follow Jesus. This kind of humility, um, admitting our weakness, um, kind of taking on the posture of an apprentice or a student seems to be a prerequisite for being part of this kingdom that Jesus is announcing, for following him and joining him in what he's doing. And I think um, this is good news for us, that it's actually okay to not have it all figured out, to not, um, to not mess up. It's okay to mess up, right? Um, I picture, I picture Jesus kind of like, picture, like um, reaching out his hand and inviting us to take it or to come alongside him. Maybe if you're uncomfortable holding hands with Jesus, right? Lots of us are. Um, that, that you can actually, that he's inviting you to, to accompany him on this road, on this narrow road, and, he, and you're not in it on your own. So that brings me to the next part of our restaurant story. So remember, you're standing outside in the alley. Um, you've just asked what it takes to get a seat at the restaurant um, tonight, and the owner has answered, you have to need it. And then the owner says, you know, I'm looking for some extra help tonight, and I sent some of my staff out to get more people, invite more people in, and I'm expecting them back any minute, and we're going to fill the second floor. Are you interested in helping out? There's a meal in it for you, too, he says. You don't hesitate. <laughs> this whole thing is too compelling. I'm in, you say. You follow him through the back door and hang your coat on an empty hook, and he hands you an apron and pushes through the swinging door into the kitchen, holding it open for you. I've recruited some help, friends, he laughs, and they give a hey. And right away, you feel welcome, part of the team. Anya will tell you everything you need to know, the man says to you. I've got to go welcome the guests. A woman walks up to you and signs something with her hands, a question on her face. You shake your head apologetically. She grabs a pen and paper out of her apron and she writes, serve or cook? You point to serve. She grabs your elbow and steers you over to the menu posted on the wall. She points to the hors d'oeuvres, entrees, soup, salads, desserts, and of course the wine list. She writes, each guest may order anything they like at no cost. Make them feel welcome. And then she ushers you out the door into the restaurant and points up the stairs. Start up there, she, she mouths. You serve over 100 people that night, and most are grateful for the meal, for the chance to sit and rest and the reminder that they are seen and valued just as they are. The owner has greeted each one and seems to remember their names as he makes his way through the restaurant over and over again. 
You hear through the other staff that he's covering the cost out of his own pocket and that this is something he does regularly in his restaurants in other cities. This restaurant is his newest one and each of them has been recruited to help as you had been. We do this together, they tell you. That's what he taught us. Some of us were once guests like these. At close, you finally all sit down to a meal yourselves. Several tables have been pushed together on the main floor and the food is laid out family style. As you fill your plates, chatter and laughter fill the room and there's nowhere you'd rather be in that moment. The owner comes in from the kitchen, wiping his hands on a towel and sits at the head of the table and the room goes quiet. Thank you for serving with me tonight he says with tears in his eyes. I couldn't have done it without you. Now let's eat. This picture, this restaurant, um, is meant to give us a picture of the grace and the generosity and the sacrifice of Jesus. The abundance of the rich food in God's kingdom. And it's a picture of how we can partner with Jesus as we practice exactly um, what we kind of saw these people practicing along with Jesus. That's the point. Um, and then I just wanted to close with this. I wanted to share this story with you today, Wake Ridge, because I see this kind of discipleship in you, um, this partnering with Jesus this walking the narrow road. I don't know all of your individual stories. Um, I don't know whether in your hearts you're kind of in that restaurant or whether you're kind of standing outside or, or where you're at in your journeys. Um, I don't know where you're at with Jesus these days, like whether you're in conversation with him or um, kind of like standing aside and watching him and, and deciding if you're going to walk alongside him, uh, whether you've turned toward him or whether you're turned away. I don't know um, your stories. But I do know this from where I stand. Um, I see that together you are living out and modeling even what Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes. I see it in your willingness to admit that life is messy. Um, that life and faith actually can be very messy, that it is a process. And, and I see it in your values, um, even these ones that are up on the wall here. Uh, you are living these out. And, and we as Stonehouse are some of the recipients of that grace and that generosity. Uh, and we are so grateful for your partnership in that. It is such a gift um, to be seen and valued by a community um, 14 hours away. <laughs> uh, and, and to see that, I mean, me and Tim see the, the financials every month, and to see Lake Ridge's contribution in this season of our church planting life every single month is a huge encouragement to us. So, I, I see you walking this road with Jesus. Um, again, I don't know your individual stories, but man, like, isn't he so gracious and generous um, 
This is, this is the picture of Jesus that we are given in the Gospels. And, and Jesus then gives us a picture of God himself. Um, and, and this is the, the God that we are aligning ourselves with, that we are walking alongside, uh, partnering with him in the places we are in the world at this moment. And so thank you um, for partnering with God and for supporting us, um, a, a small church plant uh, in the middle of Manitoba. Um, let's keep rolling up our sleeves, friends. You know, like in the places that we go uh, in, our, in our daily lives, like that's, I mean, we don't all have to go overseas or, or do these huge, amazing things. Really, it's about living this out faithfully and walking alongside Jesus faithfully day by day um, in wherever we are. That is what we are called to do. Um, and, and as God opens doors into new places, maybe we walk through them um, at the right time. But we are actually partnering with God, with Jesus, in what he's doing. So as a blessing and um, an encouragement, I just wanted to read from the beginning of uh, the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul writes. Um, this first part is especially for you. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Lake Ridge, um, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, uh, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then there's a little blessing that follows, um, starting in verse 9. And this is what I'll end with today. May your love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness. And I think this is an example of the fruit of righteousness. <laughs> filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thank you for allowing me to share this morning. It is a privilege to be here with you today.